insecurities and they drive us is because we live in a fallen world and we're fallen people. But I want to give you the key to how to alleviate the insecurities in your life. And it is a legitimate key. And here's the thing. The key to assuage your own insecurities is to realize that you will always have insecurities. But your salvation has nothing to do with your insecurities. It has everything to do with God's absolute security through Jesus. Ruth's life was uncertain. She left her home following her husband's death, moved to a new land, and lived among people she knew little about. She had no idea how she and Naomi would survive. Even when there seemed to be hope for redemption, a process began that could have upended everything. Today, Pastor Daniel will ask you to recognize similar situations in your own life, but then will urge you to give them to God and trust His process. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Ruth chapter 4 as he begins his message, An Amazing Redemption. Crossroads is a collection of people who are in all different places in their faith journey. So often you go and maybe you visit a church and very quickly you realize that everyone here is exactly the same. They're in the exact same place. And if you're not in that place, it's like you're not welcome here because this is who we are. And I love that, that crosses. We're not that kind of a church because we realize that everybody is in a different place in that journey. And we realize that there are people who are part of Crossroads who've been walking with Jesus for decades, faithfully following him. And then there's other people who right now you're just like exploring Jesus. You're like, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. And we've always felt, and Pastor Bill before me, we've always felt that there needs to be a place where people can feel like they belong so that God can do what he wants to do in their life. And so that's what I love about the Crossroads family is that there's people in all different places on the journey. But here's the thing. No matter where you are in the journey, there's something that is common to all of us. And it plays out in different ways for each one of us, but that each one of us brings our insecurities with us everywhere that we go. Now, isn't that like dropping you in the deep end of a sermon right there? You know, we each bring our insecurities wherever we go. You think about what an insecurity is. An insecurity is a personal feeling of inadequacy that ends up driving not only how we act, but how we interpret our situations. And all of us bring insecurities with us, and they play out in different ways. And some of us are really aware of our insecurities, and others of us, we're not aware of it at all. You know, you think about insecurity, you think back in the Garden of Eden, God promised Adam and Eve that they could eat of any tree of the entire garden. They had complete liberty except for one tree. And then the serpent came and said, oh, you know, listen, God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because if you eat of it, you know, and I mean, you're going to be like God and God doesn't want any competition. And right away, Adam and Eve were like, yeah, I want to eat that tree, right? And it was, it was the insecurity of feeling like God wants them to miss out. And so insecurity drives so much of our lives. Now, what's fascinating, of course, is that we live in a culture, and really all cultures are like this, where nobody really wants to own their own insecurities and what their own insecurities do. That They always want to place the blame on somebody else. It's one thing to say, well, the reason I'm like this is because you did this and you did this, but very rarely do people say, actually, it's my insecurities that are actually driving some of this. Now, this was brought into really beautiful 
clear relief for me just recently, and I'll tell you a story. So many of you love my Annabelle stories, my little four-and-a-half-year-old, and you love him because you're not living with her. But that's a different discussion. But I love this little girl, and she's so fun. So literally, this was like a, not even a week ago. I'm sitting on the couch, and Annabelle comes, and she's so happy, and she's bouncing on it, and she sits on my lap, and she gives me a big hug. She says, Dad, I love you so much. You're the best dad in the world, even though you make mistakes all the time. Like, literally just like that. It's like, you're awesome, you're the best dad, and you make a lot of mistakes all the time. You know, and I started thinking about this because in that moment, Annabelle said three sentences. I love you, you're the best dad in the whole wide world, and you make mistakes all the time. Now, what's amazing is, is depending on your insecurities and the way that you process information, some of us, in my case, would only have heard, I love you so much, and you're the best dad ever. And some of us may have only heard, you make mistakes all the time. Now, what's the thing that drives which you hear? Because for most people, they don't hold those things. Now, I thought it was super cute, and it was totally Annabelle. And I do make mistakes all the time, so I'm like, yeah, it sounds totally cool. You know, the fact she still loves me in the midst of it, dad goals, you know. (laughs) But in that moment, what I've learned is that people have a tendency to focus on one or the other. And for most of us, we focus on that you make mistakes all the time. And then that insecurity of feeling like you make mistakes all the time, that ends up driving how you live, what you do, how you think, how you interact with people. Because you're always sensing this latent insecurity that you're trying to make up for. Now, I started thinking about this because, you know, I grew up in an amazing family. Like, I wouldn't trade in the family that I was raised in. I just, amazing parents. And, like, they weren't walking with the Lord, but there was a lot of love in the house that I grew up in. And I remember growing up... um, I played baseball a lot, and I remember I would pitch, and I would throw, not all the time, but there was times when I'd throw like a shutout, and it'd be great, and we'd win the game, and I remember I'd get in the car, and what I remember now is my dad would be like, yeah, you know, you got a shutout, but you know, you walk three guys, and you hit this one guy, and so why'd you walk them and hit the guy? And growing up, I used to always just feel like I just never did a good enough job. But as I reflect back on it now that I'm older, I realize my dad probably told me I did a good job some of the time. But all I remember is that I walked a couple people and I hit a guy and that's what he wanted to talk about, which fed this insecurity that I'm just not good enough. Now, what's amazing is, is that like, as I'm getting older, I'm reflecting on these things because in all the things he said, I only remember the negative things. And that negative remembrance, although he may not have only said negative things, I know that he didn't. But that's what drives me, and then I find myself feeling super insecure, and I'm never good enough, so I always have to do exceedingly better than I'm supposed to do, so I feel like that I'm not lacking. Now, I share my own stuff with you because I realize that this plays out in all of our lives, doesn't it? What you choose to focus on. What, out of all, like, I always tell people that there's a sermon that I preach, and then there's a sermon that people hear. And they're often not the same thing. Right, Because you take in the information and then you process it through whatever the grids that you're processing your information through and then you're getting out of it what you get out of it. Right, And so insecurity ends up playing a huge piece into the way your relationships go, your interactions go, the way you feel about life and people. And one of the things that God wants all of us to do is to learn how to, to own our piece of this puzzle. Right, To say... I bring this to the table. And and if insecurity is driving things to own, like, okay, so that's actually not all them. That's actually my insecurities. 
And I'm taking my insecurities, I'm placing it on them, and I'm hearing everything through my insecurity, even though they're not saying it. And anyone who's been in a relationship before, and if you've been in a relationship, most likely you've had a disagreement in that relationship. And if you're one of those people who've never had that, we hate you and love you. You know, all the rest of us. Then we don't really hate you, but we're, we're just envious of your perfect relationship. For the rest of us, we miss each other sometimes. But how many times have you realized that you miss somebody in a relationship? You've talked and you've missed each other only to realize that what you've missed each other on, actually none of it's really real. You think they mean this. They think you mean this. Actually, neither of you mean that because it's a bunch of insecurities that are missing each other. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, all of you know what I'm talking about. Praise, except for one of you. The reason we have insecurities and they drive us is because we live in a fallen world and we're fallen people. But I want to give you the key to how to alleviate the insecurities in your life. And it is a legitimate key. And here's the thing. The key to assuage your own insecurities is to realize that you will always have insecurities. But your salvation has nothing to do with your insecurities. It has everything to do with God's absolute security through Jesus. Like, that's the good news. The good news is that you and I have a million reasons to be insecure, real reasons. But there is one reason that trumps all of the real reasons that we're insecure. And that's the fact that Jesus's work is finished. And we bring our insecurities to the table. And then we introduce our insecurities to the God who is totally secure. And the work is completely finished. And God's redemption trumps all of our personal feelings. And to me, that's the good news. This is why Jesus, believing in Jesus and his finished work on the cross by following Jesus because of his resurrection, by seeing yourselves, your lives surrendered to Jesus because of who he is. This is why it changes everything because in the midst of all of my feelings of inadequacy, there is the God who is completely sufficient. And what God wants to do in each one of our lives is God wants to transform our view from just being this is me and my insecurities to this is me and my insecurities and my God who's got no insecurities and God's finished work is greater than all of my issues and that's really the work of sanctification that God is doing he causes us to decrease and him to increase now I bring this up because I was thinking this week we're studying the book of Ruth right and we left off with Ruth invites Boaz to redeem her. And Boaz is like, yeah, I want to, but there's this other nearer relative and he has the right before me. So just go home and we'll figure this thing out. And then, you know, Ruth goes home. She talks to Naomi and she's like, what happened? You know, Naomi's like, what happened? And she tells the story and says, well, listen, Boaz is an honorable man and he's not going to rest until this matter is fixed. So sit still. And I started thinking to myself, I wonder how Ruth felt the rest of that day. And right away, as I thought about Ruth, I thought, I'm guessing Ruth went through all of her insecurities. I'm from Moab. I'm a widow. I'm childless. I have to glean in the fields. I mean, like, well, what do I have going for me? And this is not going to go well. See, before she knew the outcome, she fills in all of her garbage into the space in between her hoped outcome and what's actually going to happen. And the reason I think that that's what she did is because that's what almost all of us do all the time as we wait, right? Like we're waiting for something to happen. We always just think it's going to go the worst possible way. Oh, this is why it's going to go wrong for me. And it always goes bad for me and all this stuff. And it's all of our insecurities, right? And so I imagine Ruth in her mind just being like, man, me and Naomi's going to get old and die. And I'm going to be all alone because I'm a Moabitess in Bethlehem. 
and what do I got going for me? But what you end up finding is, is that Ruth's redemption has nothing to do with all the things she's not. Ruth's redemption has everything to do with who Boaz is and what he wants to accomplish. And that truth, I believe, if all of us, no matter where we are on our journey of faith, if we can grab hold of that truth, I believe it will transform your life. And we're going to see how it can happen. So open up your Bibles, Ruth chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. So I want you to open up your Bibles. If you're searching through the Bible to find it, if maybe you're, you just don't know where it is, it's pretty easy to find. It's towards the beginning of your Bible. So you have the first five books of Moses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, I'm just kidding. Just seeing if you guys are awake at church. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you have the book of Joshua. Then the book of Judges. And then you have the book of Ruth right between the book of Judges and First Samuel. So if you had Second Samuel, turn to your left. If you had First or Second Chronicles, turn to your left. Psalms, turn to your left. Any of the prophet guys, turn to your left as well. All the way back to the book of Ruth in chapter 4. And of course, I know that we live in a world that if you don't say everything, you don't believe any of it. So you have to be specific. You guys know where chapter 4 is, right? It's between chapters 3 and... First Samuel chapter 1! <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Someone said there's no five chapters. It's going to be a good day. Okay, verse one. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, come aside, friends, sit down there. So he came aside and sat down. Verse two, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, I want to give you a principle that I think not only do we see it playing out here, but it's also as we've been talking about God's amazing redemption and how it works in our life. So I'm going to give you the principle and then we'll unpack it in the context of the story. And it's this, that you and I need to learn how to honor the process. You have to learn how to honor the process. And I could even take it a step further. It's not only enough just to honor the process. We have to learn how to enjoy the process. Because what you find here in the life of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, as it is, is there's a process, there's a right order of things that needs to unfold in order for this thing to happen. And Boaz is committed to not circumventing the process, but he wants to honor the process. And in the midst of honoring the process, all that God wants to have will unfold. Now, the reason I think that this is important, of course, is because, and I've said this many, many times, that we love the outcome, but God loves the process. And really, in the day-to-day faithfulness in the process, that is where God transforms our character. And for many of us, the greatest struggle we have is we want the right outcome, but we don't want to honor the process to get there. 
And by dishonoring the process or not enjoying the process, we're actually cutting the knees out from under what God wants to teach us because we're not willing to do God's work God's way. And so we have Boaz here. He's honoring the process. So remember, Boaz told Ruth, listen, go home. There's somebody who has the right of redemption before me. We need to check in with that person first. Now you can imagine if Boaz, he wanted to marry Ruth and all this, he could have just figured out Like, where's the gray area around the process? But he doesn't do that. He shows up early the next morning. He goes to the city gates. Now, the city gates was the place where all the business in that community was transacted. The elders and businessmen were there. That's why all the elders were there. And Boaz is there waiting for this closer relative to show up so he can transact some business with them. Now, what I think is beautiful here is he's there and he sees the close relative. It's like, hey, so-and-so, come over here. Here, sit down. And then he grabs 10 elders because in the presence of two or three witnesses, every matter will be established, right? And he sits down, he says, now listen. He says, you remember our brother Elimelech? Well, his wife Naomi just came back from Moab and they sold a piece of land and you are the nearest relative. You're allowed to redeem it. So if you're gonna redeem it, tell everybody. And if not, I wanna redeem it. So what do you wanna do? And he's like, I'll definitely take the land, absolutely. But Boaz, he's shrewd. He's smart. He knows that the guy wants the land, but he's like, but listen, if you get the land, you actually have to take Ruth too. So this guy was like, man, the land sounds great, but the wife and the mother-in-law, thanks anyway. (laughs) Now, I'm not like knocking women in that. It's just like, like it's one thing to to, to acquire a piece of property, another thing to acquire a piece of property and a bride and her mother-in-law and the Leverite custom that the firstborn male of this new marriage will actually be of the bloodline of Elimelech. So the guy's like, uh, you know what, thanks anyway. And notice what he says. And he says this in verse six. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right for redemption for yourself for I cannot redeem it. See, this man realizes that he's going to take The resources, the inheritance that would go to his children to buy a piece of land that he would also end up with another wife that if they have a child, that child now gets that inheritance so they're taking their kids' money to buy this piece of land and then that other son gets it and then other requests on his estate. So at that point, the guy doesn't want to do it. And what's amazing is, is Boaz, you get the sense, knew that that was what was going to happen. It's one thing just to get the commodity. It's another thing to count the cost and see all that it's going to entail. And Boaz honors the process. He gives the near relative the choice. It's you have the right. It's up to you, whatever you want. If you want it, it's yours. And if not, I would like it. Now, but what I love about it is Boaz's integrity caused him to make sure he did it right. He wasn't content just to get the land and to get Ruth and all this. He wanted to honor the process. Now, you got to ask yourself, in what areas are you choosing not to honor the God-given process? In what areas are you saying, I want the outcome and I don't care how I get there. The ends justify the means. Wrong. The thing is, is that God works in those moments within the process where you say, I want to honor God's process so that I can land exactly where God wants me to. Now, this isn't a popular teaching today because we live in a day and age of get-rich-quick schemes, right? Now, you know the only person who gets rich in a get-rich-quick scheme, right? The person who invented it who fooled you into buying into it. 
That's the only person who gets rich and to get rich quick. See why? Because very few people get rich quick. It's the same thing. And I've said this many times. I love to eat. Can I get an amen? Amen. I love to eat, right? And so I remember, like, when I eat a meal, the number of times I've said to myself, man, it'd be so cool after I eat this meal if I could just swallow this pill and it dissolves everything in my stomach. Because I'll be honest, my food enjoyment is the flavors going in, not necessarily the digestion process. And depending on how much you eat, the process that your body goes through to deal with all the firsts and seconds and thirds and fourths, especially cake and Twinkies and all these things, you know, it's like that process is no fun. So after you eat, if you could just eat a pill and it dissolves everything, and then you can just go back and eat your first, seconds, thirds and fourths again, and you can have all the enjoyment without all the downside. Now, that, you might say, that's sick and you're a glutton. I'd say, amen, that's why I believe in Jesus. But the idea for me is the fact that, you know, like, how many times you ever see, you know, get skinny and buff quick, right? It's on your Facebook feed. It's on your Instagram thing. And it's like, it's like okay, and you're like, okay, take this pill. And the person looks all this, and they're all not in shape. And then the next thing is like 30 days later, and they're ripped and chiseled and all this thing. Right? And then, like, just take this pill and eat whatever you want. And a bunch of people are like, I'm going to take this pill and eat whatever I want. And then, sure enough, 30 days later, you spend all this money and they got you on a subscription. You can't quit. And you're just growing not in the ways that you want to. Why is that the case? Because you're trying to get to the end without honoring the process. Now, every once in a while, if you notice with those kind of things, they'll be like, look, if you eat this way, you do this workout for 90 days, and then they show you these before and after pictures, you know, what you'll find is that if you actually do all 90 days and you eat the plan, you might not end up being one of the people in the pictures, but you will see some change. Why? Because you can't just get buff in 30 days if you spent half your life being unbuff, right? Like, you can't become rich in 30 days if you spent all of your life being impoverished. There's a process that needs to go through in order to make a full change. And that's what we actually have going on for most of us spiritually. It's like for many people, you want to be a spiritual giant, but you actually don't want to have to be faithful on the step that you're on. I get this all the time. I meet people, you know, and they're like, I want to be a pastor. Great. Well, where are you serving? I'm not serving because I'm supposed to preach. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, well, so why don't you go in a serving kids ministry? Well, I'm called to the pulpit. I'm like, well, actually right now you're called to learn how to be a servant. If you can't preach to kids, if kids don't want to listen to you, adults definitely won't want to listen to you. They're just grown up kids, you know? And they're like, oh, well, okay. And then they go serving kids ministry. I served in kids ministry for three weeks. Can I be a pastor now? No, can't be a pastor now. Go back to kids ministry, you know? And then eventually they get mad at Crossroads. They leave and they start a church. And nobody comes. Why? Because you got to honor the process. Jesus is real. You live in a world that wants solutions right here, right now. Patience is just too much to ask. There's a lot to be done and waiting isn't an option. In today's message, Pastor Daniel acknowledged society's tendency towards skipping the process, but reminded you how necessary it is to walk the steps. God has a plan for you, but you're not going to get to jump to the end. There's growth that can only happen in the process. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. 
Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com Click on the stations option in the main menu and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will take a look at the steps Boaz had to take in order to marry Ruth. God had set up a process long before these two people met that needed to be honored, a process that protected Ruth and others who were marginalized in their culture. God knew that these laws were necessary and that the steps taken to fulfill them would lead to a commitment to society, to each other, and to Him. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Oasis. Until then, may God bless.